Welcome to Vision is More Than 2020, a podcast aimed at talking about your vision, your eyes, and how they play a role in overall visual and systemic function. Dr. Zolnicki and Lakowski, with the help of various guests, will work to help you understand more about your visual system and all the pieces to the vision puzzle. Welcome to this week's episode of Vision is More Than 2020. We are starting our case series. Series. We are going to be highlighting all different cases about the things that we do and what conditions we treat in vision therapy. So we're super excited about this. But before we jump in, let's talk about our weekly insight, which is it is Vision Therapist Week uh, that we are celebrating all vision therapists across the world and the country. We are so grateful for our two vision therapists, Pam and Brittany. They really help us treat all of our patients. They are in the rooms with our patients, treating them on a day-to-day basis, and they have dedicated their time and energy to really learning about the visual system and visual function, and we could not do what we do without them. So this is just a big shout out to Pam and Brittany and all of the vision therapists out there that are making such positive changes in their patients' lives. And we thought, what would be more fitting than during Vision Therapist Appreciation Week than to kick off our case series with one of Dr. Z's favorite vision therapists? So today on the podcast, we're going to have on Jennifer Mullen. She has been working in the field of vision therapy for Eye Care Professionals PC since 1993. She has presented the VT 101 Applied Concepts course and general education at the annual meeting for COVD and has had articles published in OEP and COVD publications. In 2018, she was awarded COVT of the year. She is passionate about the field of vision therapy and loves all patients, but is particularly fond of the rewards of working with patients with TBI and autism. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And to get started, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you became interested in becoming a vision therapist. So thank you for inviting me. Um, So I've been a vision therapist for 28 years um, in the office of um, Dr. Barry Tannen and Dr. Nick Vespatidis and Dr. Ivan Lee. And also note Dr. Noah Tannen is here as well now. Um, So I kind of became a vision therapist basically by accident. Dr. Tannen was my eye doctor. Um, I was an English major in college and wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it. And I thought, well, let me get a job and kind of do some thinking. And there was an ad in the paper and I applied and I just never left. So <laughs> they, they have that pull over there. Yes. You know? Yes. For, they do. The list, for the listeners, <laughs> I did my residency with, with Jen and Dr. Tannen and Dr. D and Dr. Lee. Noah wasn't there yet. And I can attest that Jen is by far one of the best, if not the best vision therapist that I've ever worked with. She has really dedicated her life to vision and vision training and really understanding patients. And I always joke in for me that she's like an optometrist without the, <laughs> the actual paper, um, because she really does understand vision really, really well. And I think uh, better than some optometrists, because you've been in the therapy room for so long, and you really are the one that is hitting the pavement and doing the work with the patients and seeing how they're changing. So today we are kicking off uh, our case series, series, where we're going to be highlighting different cases to talk about symptoms and treatments and just really learning about all the different things that we see as vision 
therapists and vision doctors to really understand the types of patients that we see and the things that we can treat. So Jen has a really wonderful case and it, the diagnosis is very simple. It's one of the most common that we see. It's convergence insufficiency. And it's it's kind of like the buzzword. It's the one that we, when people think about vision issues, it's the one that people know most about, which is so wonderful, but not only um, very common, but it can vary from very mild to very severe. And you really have to treat each patient very differently when it comes to convergence insufficiency. So Jen, why don't you jump off and talk to us about what brought your initial patient in and kind of go through your case? So I want to just talk a little about, so I actually have two patients to talk about. One that I did probably about two years into starting therapy, and then one probably about 22 years into (laughs) working in therapy. Um, Both were nine-year-old boys, both what you would call a simple CI, but both with pretty significant reading difficulties in school, um, just not working up to their potential, um, but both also very angry young men. And rightfully so, like things were not going very well for them in their life. So I understand the, the anger. Um, so my first patient, when I first started out, you know, neither one were terribly severe CIs, like really um, objectively, like their numbers should come along pretty quickly. And that piece actually went pretty well with both of them. But my first patient was this, he was so angry all the time where like throwing flippers at me and slamming things down and cursing. And, um, you know, I have had a special education background as well. So you know, in all my courses for special education, and they kind of taught us, okay, you know, behavior modification, and you do a token economy, and you control behavior this way. And I was like, I'm just going to throw some token, he's going to get surprises, and we're going to work this out, and it's going to be fine. Um, Yeah, it didn't go so well. So uh, he stayed, we did 22 sessions of therapy, we got through therapy. But it was a pretty miserable experience for him, like, I never really bonded with him. And it was, I would just dread, like, just even thinking about it now, like my stomach is like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> cause it was just really a rough time. Um, and objectively he did okay, but he finished therapy. He was still angry and, you know, it wasn't a terrible, terrible thing, but I just felt like after that, I could have done better. Like what, how could I change to do better? So, you know, over time I've kind of looked at modifying behavior and what to do. And I kind of changed my mindset over the year at to, you know, behavior is just really communication. So you kind of have to look at the behavior and figure out, okay, somewhere under there is a feeling and under the feeling there's a need. So how do I figure out what that need is? How do I fulfill that need? And then we can move forward in therapy and actually get more things done and make better progress and in addition to the objective numbers being well, have an emotionally balanced person finish therapy. Um, So my second patient, kind of same situation, very angry. Um, He, our first day of therapy, I like to do um, color the O's where we take just a tracking sheet. I give them as many colored pencils as they want. And I say to them, you know, go ahead and I'm just going to have you color any bellies of letters. You can do it however you want, whatever you want to do. 
Um, we're just going to color in these bellies. And I just sort of, because the first meeting with them, I just watched to see what they do. Some people like to do like all different colors. Some will only do one color. Some are all over the place. So I just kind of, just to see what your style is. So he chose black and just basically started like scribbling. So I was like, hey, I'm like, well, can we stop for a second? I'm like, can you try to color in this O right here? And he looked at me and he threw the pencil at me and he ran away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, you know, I, that's when I decided I need to sort of change my approach here. You know, he obviously was not happy. So I basically changed where we started doing a lot of gross motor stuff, a lot of yoked prisms, a lot of um, just moving through space. And he started to regulate a little better and trust me a little more. And then once we were at that point, we could kind of switch to doing, you know, our vectograms and our Brock string and he would be cooperative with that. Um, and he finished therapy, very happy. Mom and dad were very happy. And, you know, we did see those objective numbers, you know, go up to, to be normal again. So um, it's just two very different patients, but I've just found over the years, if you're having challenges with the patient, you know, certain kids don't want to keep any sort of glasses on, you know, they don't want to wear the red greens. They don't want to wear red blues. They don't want to wear polarized. If you kind of stop for a second and say, Hey, like I've noticed you don't want to keep these glasses on. What's up? What's going on there? And sometimes it's as simple as like, well, there's a sharp piece of plastic on this pair of glasses that's poking me. But sometimes it's like, oh, well, I feel like they're falling off. Or so if you just kind of meet that need and make some adjustments, then you get more therapy done. Um, I think years and years ago, like I was exposed to some um, not the doctors in this office, but I talked to some doctors where they were like, well, my therapy room is like, you could hear a pin drop and everybody sits up straight and is still. And when I say go, you know, I'm working with five patients at a time. When I say go, they do their thing and then they're done and nobody. And it, for us here, that doesn't work. You know, we have to find ways to if kids are wiggly, let them wiggle, figure out a way where they can wiggle and get things done um, and kind of meet those needs so that you can actually get something done. So those are my two cases, the same yet very different um, as far as, you know, treating the, the simple CI, which is nothing is ever so simple, but. <laughs> Right. Nothing is ever simple. And I think what kind of flowed throughout your conversation between those two cases is really every person and patient is very different. Even if they have the same underlying diagnosis, um, your approach to them sometimes has to be very varied. And I love that piece that you brought up that behavior is communication because that's a big piece of what we all do. Of course, we can go through our evaluations and look at numbers on a page and say, you need X, Y, and Z, and you're going to be done in 24 sessions and your numbers will improve. But we have to really look beyond those numbers and look at the patient as a whole. And, you know, a big piece with when you have reduction in your visual system, it can be very frustrating because it really pervades all throughout your day. It can make reading very difficult. It can make it difficult to be successful in the classroom. And that can be really frustrating for kids. 
because they want to do well and they want to succeed. Um, so I think that we very commonly also see those behavior changes in our patients that we're seeing. And I love your switch in your mindset to really work without those behavioral changes and try to really tune into what the kid is trying to tell you. Um, and I know in some of our preliminary conversations before this podcast, you kind of talked about part of that switch was switching from a top-down approach to more so a bottom-up. So can you just talk about that a little bit and like what the difference is and how that changed your therapy? Right. So, um, you know, when I was trained, we were always kind of taught to be very top-down, kind of going through these higher cognitive processes, like, okay, you're looking at it. What do you notice? How are your eyes feeling? What is happening? Which is great. We, all, we have to get there eventually. But I kind of think of it... Um, you know, sort of as a pyramid and on the bottom of this pyramid, you have sort of that, that gross motor, those, you know, any kind of like primitive reflexes that could be um, retained. Um, and then up at the top is those, those higher level cognitive processes where you're like cognizant of your convergence or your divergence or what your eyes are doing. And we see so many patients that come in and they basically the bottom of that pyramid is just sort of cracked and very wobbly. So if you're coming in from the top and trying to do these higher level things, it's wobbly and the pyramid just keeps falling down and you never really get anywhere. So if you go from the bottom up where you're kind of saying, okay, let's, let's work on your awareness of space, your awareness of where your body is, your awareness of um, like literally the parts of your body. Like we have so many patients that come in um, that if they close their eyes, they really don't know where their hands are. They don't have that internal visual map. Um, so that's where we kind of start from the bottom and kind of try to build up that body awareness. Like, okay, if you're sitting in a chair, close your eyes, where are your hands? Can you visualize where your body is? Um, and we'll do some of that reflex work as well that helps with that to kind of work from that bottom up to just stabilize the bottom of that pyramid so you can come in from the top and you have a solid base to work with. Yeah, and this is, I think, what separates a really good vision therapist from a great vision therapist is being able to spot when that bottom ground is shaky. We, you know, we sometimes have patients that come in that have maybe done vision therapy previously, right? They've done the computer programs, they've done the Brock string, they've done all of the flippers. And for some reason, they're not improving or their, you know, their objective findings are getting better, but they're still symptomatic, right? That's, right. that's a big key is that even though if the numbers are improving, right, like we can improve fusional ranges pretty easily, right? Like it's kind of easy, right? You just click the button and naturally our eyes and our brain start to get better and better at what we're doing. But when we can make those connections and make them deep connections and bring them back to where maybe they've missed those initial steps and then bring them up that ladder of that higher level, that's when vision therapy sticks. I think a lot of parents come in and say like, how does this, my child eight, this is gonna last a lifetime. And you know, that maybe that first case that you treat it, they might have had, I don't know if you've seen them again, but they might be one of those cases that regressed where they, maybe their, what you did in therapy didn't stick as well. And he, part of that is why he was still so angry, right? Because he was functioning, things were better, but it wasn't 
really how he wanted to function. His system was like kind of fighting each other. Whereas the second case that you brought up, you approached him completely differently after learning many years of vision <laughs> therapy and changing your mindset. It allowed you to approach him in a different way to make those neural connections stronger to stick to, to stick and to make those actual changes in the brain to solve the underlying issue of the convergence insufficiency, uh, but really changing a whole person. Now, when you um, are looking at, pay, like when you're working with them, I know you do that, that fun first activity, but in your therapy and in your treatment approach, how much would you say of each session are you doing maybe some like groundwork stuff and then some like more basic vision therapy that our uh, listeners like may be more familiar with? Like what does your actual sessions look like for those listening? Um, it depends on the patient, but I think sometimes I can kind of combine some of the groundwork stuff with more traditional vision therapy. So, you know, we might do, instead of just saying doing like um, heart chart saccades, we might do some yoked prism and kind of throw a beanbag around a little bit. And then I'll say, Oh, look, the heart charts over here. What's the first letter and kind of go from there and then do some more moving through space and then go back to kind of the more traditional where you're just kind of sitting and reading the first and the last, you know? Um, so we kind of mix it together. I would say um, with probably our younger patients, I would say about half to three quarters of the session is kind of taken up with that groundwork. Also, I feel like that movement through space kind of primes their brain and their just ability to attend to some of that top-down stuff. So if they can't attend to the top-down stuff, it's not going to work. So, and some kids, when they come in the beginning, you know, I've said they're not ready to do anything except for some gross motor and just even simple visual attention. Like, can you, can you look at this? Um, you know, or I have interesting things to look like, look at, and, you know, we'll go into a dark room with like a, a light up ball or something like that, just to like throw that around a little bit. So they're actually able to attend to something visually. And that could be, you know, the first four or five sessions of just doing that stuff, getting a patient to have some visual attention. So when I do try to have them look at a vectorgram or look at a box, box string, they can actually look at it. Um, so I would, you know, it varies from patient to patient, but you know, there's definitely a little bit of it probably with everybody, you know, even my adults, uh, especially my adults with TBI that also come in, you know, technically they're a simple CI, but not really that simple. This episode is brought to you by Luminous. For over 50 years, Luminous has developed innovative gold standard devices for eye care, like the first SLT laser, the first argon laser photocoagulator, and the revolutionary dual path SLT and YAG laser. Luminous, the inventor of Intense Pulse Light, or IPL, is proud to announce the first and only IPL system to receive FDA approval for management of dry eye disease and to launch OptiLite, a bright solution for dry eyes. OptiLite uses Luminous's patented optimal pulse technology to allow consistent, precise, and controlled treatment. If your patients suffer from dry, gritty, tired eyes, and dry eye disease due to meibomian gland dysfunction that is impacting their quality of life and their vision, OptiLite puts the power for treating dry eye disease in the palm of your hand. 
Optiolite breaks the dry, vicious cycle of inflammation and delivers improvement in tear breakup time and other clinical signs of dry eye disease. To learn how you can elevate dry eye management with Optilite, visit luminous.com slash Optilite. Right. I feel like uh, we also in our therapy program, I feel like have been kind of taking a step back and going back to the basics a little bit more. These are conversations we've been having with our vision therapist and really working on those basic visual skills more and a lot incorporating a lot of that like motor piece as well, um, especially with our kids that we're seeing currently. I feel like throughout the course of the pandemic, kids have been very sedentary and right. very much so looking on screen. So I feel like we've seen this big turn in our therapy program where we really are trying to get them up and moving and then integrating that motor skill with the vision piece. And I think that we're really seeing greater changes in our in our kids in our therapy program by doing that. So I really love that you've been doing that as well. Um, when you've been working with kids currently, have you been seeing any big changes with them due to the pandemic? I feel my observation is that everybody is a a little bit in sort of this overactive sympathetic state. Like everyone is sort of in fight or flight, at least a little bit all the time. Like everybody is ready. Like what's happening next? What, you know, you know, Facebook went down the other day and I was like, okay, like the AI has become self-aware. The robots are coming. Like, you know, what is next? Can I I say, I didn't even notice. Um, but so with this heightened sympathetic state, like we tr- have been trying to do things to kind of settle people a little bit too, because if you have a simple CI, but they're in a sympathetic state. So when you go into that fight or flight, you go EXO, like you're ready to like see whatever <laughs> and run away and, um, you know, spot the predator. So, um, some of the things we'll do is we have some weighted vests, we have some lap weights, um, we do some, you know, some syntonic light therapy if people are in that heightened sympathetic state, just to swing them back a little bit into that, you know, rest and digest, eat and stay, where they have the ability to kind of be more in a state of homeostasis where they're kind of leveled off and can and do things. So we are seeing a lot of kids, I feel like, that are just generally sort of hyped up, especially now because this is the first year, at least in New Jersey, that everybody is back in school in person, um, no virtual unless they're getting quarantined. So that's causing kids a lot of stress too, because they're kind of saying, okay, when am I going to, who am I getting exposed to? When am I going to have to quarantine? When is everything going to change and mix up? Um, you know, so it's just where things are right now. And we're kind of trying to do the best we can with recognizing where these kids are coming from and, you know, all of our patients, you know, even our adults too. I think that's such a a great point, you know, I always would joke with my husband that when I would was commuting into the city that as soon as I transferred into the midtown tunnel, that my stress level would just like increase by about 20%. And I was on like this heightened alert. And I could feel myself like just being at this level. And this is sort of what you're aching into, right? Like um, everyone's just, the stress is just elevated. And that really impacts our visual system significantly. And I don't think people realize how much stress and anxiety can change how we see, you know, not the clarity of our vision, but the quality of our vision. And that's really what we're addressing here, right, is how we're gathering that visual information, how we're integrating that visual information and how we're processing it. And that's really the, the biggest thing is that we have to get that piece all to function well and, and together in order to 
be happy visual individuals that are functioning well. Uh, so just to wrap up, what would be your piece of advice for parents listening, if you're seeing this with your kids or, and even for our optometrist and our vision therapist listening about their approach to patients and patient care with behaviors that maybe you, like you said, that you brought up that may be manifesting because of visual issues. I think to sort of take a step back, kind of observe the behavior. And at first don't try to do anything about it. You know, sometimes kids, you know, I'll sit them, um, if we're going to do say like the RDS computer activity and they don't want to keep the red and blue glasses on. And I just sort of watch what they do. And if they're constantly ripping the glasses off, so you observe that behavior, you know, okay, I think this is going to be an issue. Maybe we have to kind of change that particular behavior, but from there instead of, so what you want is you want them to identify what you want. You want them to keep the glasses on and do the activity and they want to take the glasses off. So somehow you have to figure out a way to be in the middle. So if you break down like these little behaviors, then you could say to the patient, okay, so what do you, what are you noticing when you take those glasses off? What's, what's different? Why, like what's happening and let them express to you what's happening. And then you can solve your problem. You know, what's happening again, could be as simple as, uh, you know, these are poking me in the head. So then you have to meet that need by finding a different way for them to have red and blue glasses or have red and blue filters. But also it could be, well, I notice that it's different when the glasses are on, when the glasses are off. So sometimes people or, or certain children just want to explore. So kind of, you may have to approach it from that way. Like, oh, they're, they just want to do some experiments. So let's use that. Um, so just to kind of take a step back and ask the patient what's happening when you see behavior instead of just keep the glasses on, keep the glasses on, put the glasses on, keep the glasses on. <laughs> and you really could put that with anything that, you know, as adults, a behavior that we want to see compared to the behavior that we are seeing, you know, how can we kind of have a conversation to get the person to recognize what's going on and mutually decide a way to change it. I really love that advice. And I think that can really apply to a lot of areas, not just vision therapy, right? Right. Um, so I know we both learned so much from you in our conversation this morning. Thank you for sharing your cases and really what you learned over the years and your big change in your treatment approach. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening. Join our private Facebook group, Vision is More Than 2020, and follow us on Instagram. For additional content, check out our practice, Twin Forks Optometry, on both Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe, download, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Tune in next week to learn more about your vision.